Hey everyone, and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. This is episode 317 on what is a pretty chill Friday here in Maryland, but I'm not sure where it is in the rest of the world. I am Russell Holly, and we're going to do things a little differently this week. We're going uh, to talk about uh, my favorite thing, which is uh, virtual reality headsets, specifically Google Daydream. Uh, but everyone else is still here to talk as well, so let's probably introduce them first. Uh Jerry, what are you up to? Uh, six foot. Six if I, foot. If I could stand up straight, yeah. Uh, Jerry Hildenbrand is at six foot. That's good. But I am, I'm maxing and relaxing, acting yeah. all what a, cool, shooting some b-ball outside the school. <laughs> what about Mr. Alex Derby? <laughs> I there's no way I can stop that. Um, hi, I'm here. You could have tried. I don't know. I'm not sure. No, I'm not, I'm not, not. sure any, anyone needs me to go all fresh prints at this time on a Friday. But oh, that would could, have been amazing. That would have completed my day in ways prince. you cannot imagine. You, you're suggesting I'm not already the fresh prince. Fresh Prince Harry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And Mr. Daniel Bader, what about you? This is the last chance you could one-up Jerry. Uh, I I don't know. I'm, I'm also dealing with some, some overcast skies, but I feel good. I feel I feel alive. I just got a Gear S3 on my wrist. So Nice. But it's it's configured for French because of course oh, it is. La la. Uh, uh, so I'm confirmé le mode passé pour la connexion à Pixel XL. Get out uh, of Canada, Dan. You got that's that's a terrible French accent. <laughs> I have, I have So Alex Doby, for anybody who does not know, knows way more French than I do and I live in a country that is by law bilingual, so I'm pretty embarrassed. Oh well, but uh, we'll other forgive than you that, for the, we'll forgive you for the duration of this podcast. How are you liking <laughs> your Gear S3? Oh, uh, it's massive. Uh, Andrew was not wrong in his review at AndroidCentral.com. All right, cool. Well, I guess we should probably go around first and talk about some of the stuff that's happening this week. Alex, I think you were up first uh, with OnePlus stuff, weren't you? Um, yeah, I, this isn't exactly new because this has been um, rolling out to, to people uh, in various parts of the world for the past week or so. Uh, but I now have a OnePlus 3T with me, which has been interesting. Um, we also got the first uh, Android 7.0 uh, testing pre-release community build uh, for the original OnePlus 3. So I've been playing with both of those. I kind of want one software on the other. So I have, I have the 3T, which has this... It has Oxygen OS 3.5, which is still Marshmallow. It has some of the new features of, of Oxygen OS 4, but it's kind of this halfway step between the two. Um, so the 3T is really nice. Um, basically agree more or less with what Andrew said in his review. Um, subtle upgrades over the three in, in various areas. Biggest deal for me is battery life. Um, really, really nice to see that extra, what, 400 milliamp hours or whatever it is, bringing it up to sort of pixel level battery life on this phone. Uh, and everything else is just as good as you remember it. Some really, really nice new software tweaks. But the big thing that we're, we're all waiting on for the the 3T and indeed the 3, it's now out on the 3 in the in the testing community build, is this this 7.0 upgrade. Uh, and a little bit weird that we see this landing. Um, it will be landing for both phones by the end of the year. Um, but the, te- the preview is only available for the 3, I guess, because there are more people with the 3 out in the wild to test it. Uh, and I'm I'm really enjoying Nougat on this uh, on this OnePlus Three, mainly because um, just the scaling is now controllable. You no longer have this gigantic UI that you have to deal with. Um, you have a few subtle new features like uh, different sort of 
shade like the color scheme has moved a little bit more, more towards a google pixel kind of style uh at the same time you have the revamp notifications which are really cool you have um changes to quick settings uh more options in terms of how you customize the home screen and the uh the widget drawer and it's just like this is i think um what we've been waiting for for the one plus three to bring it in line with that pixel experience even if you don't get some of the specialized google stuff and that's been like a, a big thing for a while with OnePlus is being able to have that software that was almost like a Nexus or almost like a Pixel with uh, the, the kind of flourishes on the side that you could either really take advantage of or just completely ignore. Sure. And I think once we actually get the finalized um, 7.0 build on the 3T, I think if you're, you know, if you're the kind of person that maybe is listening to this podcast that is looking at a Pixel but maybe can't justify the seven hundred, you know, six fifty to seven hundred plus US dollars that that, that uh, you would need to spend on that. I think the three T is going to get you probably maybe ninety, eighty to ninety percent of that experience. The uh, the camera was the big thing that surprised me because on paper it is um, really nothing special in terms of sensor or optics, but it looks like the way OnePlus has kind of built the. Uh, the capabilities up is in terms of the ISP and the software processing and of course having that six gigs of RAM and the Snapdragon 821 as well. So I've been really impressed and actually using this side by side with a GS7 um, and also a Pixel, it's, you know, that there are some situations in, in low light that the Pixel absolutely nails where you have high contrast and the shots look beautiful. But, um, you know, in, in pretty much every other situation, the OnePlus 3T is, is up there with it and, and it's surprising how small that difference is. Good. I'm. Uh, we, we keep we keep feeling like when we have these budget phones that there's always some kind of like one giant trade off. Like the rest of it is really good, but there's this one thing that kind of sucks, and it doesn't seem like we have that with this. Not quite yet. I mean, it, I think it's there, and this goes back to the fact they launched this phone on Marshmallow at the end of November, and it's getting a major software update within its first month on the market, which is not something that we normally see. Um, I think almost like to get a full picture of the 3T, you have to get it with with Nougat on, and that that will be the full experience. And it'd be like, okay, the phone is now ready. Uh, and of course, there are plenty of decent business reasons why you wouldn't release a phone at the end of December with this update. You know, it's just a bad time to release any product. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting to revisit this phone when it does get that that final update. And um, yeah, it's going to sort of uh, really revamp that. Uh, that four fifty to five hundred dollar price point that this thing's occupying right now. I mean, it's interesting. We're, we're hearing about more of these four to five hundred dollar phones getting nougat. Uh, the Honor Eight is uh, is already um, on nougat for some people in beta. The uh, ZT Axon Seven should be getting it in early twenty seventeen, according to uh, what we've heard. And you know, it's it's nice to see because I've been. I was in Chicago uh, over the last few days talking to Motorola about its strategy and uh, what what it's got planned for 2017. And I can't talk a lot about it right now, but I was using the Moto Z and using a phone on Marshmallow today is, is a little painful. It really is, isn't it? Been... And, and that's, a, that's what surprised me about the 3T is how old that software feels now. Yeah. You know, notifications, especially if you are used to the way that Nougat does inline replies, standardized sizes, even the improved actionable notifications that you'll see for some apps, it's just really hard to go back to Marshmallow. 
Which is kind of fascinating because a lot of the changes from Marshmallow to Nougat are really subtle. Like notifications yeah. are really one of the biggest like user facing visible changes. The rest of it is really just like it the like with the uh, the the Moto Z. Uh, I was using uh, my partner's Z Force, which is still on Marshmallow, uh, and it just felt so slow compared to the the Z on Nougat. Uh, and it was just a lot of small stuff, you know, like the the time to open a folder or launch the app drawer or something like that. It's really weird that it wasn't any one big change. It was just a ton of small ones. Yeah. Yeah, even that gesture, that quick gesture that you double tap the multitasking button to return to the previous app, once you get used to using that, it's really difficult to not rely on it. Um, and I, I, I love it. I think it's it's one of those, as you said, subtle additions that just makes nougat uh, it makes it just more cohesive in in every way i think part of it is the the dpi changes as well the fact that a lot of phones that are shipping with nougat especially the pixel uh let you see you know we, have, we all have these big screens on these android phones lets you see more let's you know, not just have the same thing but bigger and at a higher resolution but actually get better information density as well uh and that was the biggest thing for me being able to um use nougat on the the one plus three and actually just okay you press a button and scale it down and actually it looks you know way more um modern and also lets you use it in a completely different way because you can see more on screen see more emails see more app icons yeah, yeah that's, that's so true something i found myself wanting to do immediately on the moto z just because the moto like i i didn't used to mind how gigantic all the moto z icons and stuff were uh, but then I started opening uh, apps uh, just all across the phone and realized, uh, compared mm-hmm. to the Pixel, just how giant uh, so many of those apps are in the default on Moto Z Nougat. And you mentioned um, Honor there. And actually, the, the interesting thing for Honor, because it's a you know, Huawei brand and you use EMUI, um, the jump from EMUI 4 uh, or 4.1 on Marshmallow to 5 now on Nougat is even bigger so uh, like so much of the design of that has changed going from 4.1 to 5 that uh, it's an even bigger change of Huawei phones and it actually you know things like the notifications which were either looked weird or in some cases were completely broken on the Honor 8 before now it's just the standard Android way of doing it um so i i think it's definitely going to be worth revisiting phones like that especially the Honor 8 because so much of the software experience has completely changed on the MUI 5 um, it is really going to be a totally different phone when that, that the final version of that update lands. Yeah, I just uh, my concern is how these yes, com- Jerry? How, how these companies handle my information. That's my first concern. I, I know I'm I'm an oddball, but mm-hmm. uh, and that's still. I mean, the OnePlus the three T sounds like the phone I would make because I would focus on trying to deliver the best physical product to people, but my company would be a shambles. You know, it's, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, kind of dis- describes OnePlus. They're better than they used to be, but they, they focus on the product and their customer service and interaction can be a little lacking. So, I mean, I, these, I, I trust Google with my information. They take a lot more of it than I, than I like but I trust that they're going to do the right thing with it because they tell me what they're going to do up front. Uh, you know, I trust Apple. I, I, I trust Microsoft to do what they are going to do and nothing more. But I can't say that I trust OnePlus or Huawei. 
They've never done anything to not earn my trust, but they just don't seem as straightforward. You know, here is what we will do. Here is what we don't done. If you don't like it, that's cool. Don't say, okay, take the phone back. They, they bury little pieces here and little pieces there. And that's something that I'd like, you know, where Huawei is an up and comer. They, they are poised to be the next big thing. I hope somebody at Huawei is also thinking about this kind of stuff and make it more seamless and transparent to the user. I mean, Huawei's business model has never really been about data. Huawei's business model has been more traditional in the same way Samsung's has about making a thing and selling a thing because they're yeah. a, a big Chinese company that have the infrastructure to do that. Yeah, um, I understand I mean, but, this is new to them. Yeah, you know. a valid concern about um, data, I guess. I mean, Huawei, uh, they've always made infrastructure for, for certain, um, uh, certain countries and cellular networks and stuff. That's the other side of their business. Um, but it's they don't have that cloud. Well, in the West at least they do. In China, they don't have that cloud presence over here. That you know is is the this data bucket that you just pour all your data into in the same way that Google does. So I think, um, yeah, that there is that difference there with Huawei. Maybe they will start to get more into services as they push further into Europe, which I guarantee they're going to do uh, next year. Um, with it as good as the products are and as good as the relationship with the carriers are these days with oneplus it's a totally different thing i think and, and as much as there is like a like a, a weird vague you know indefinable relationship between them, them and oppo um oneplus is about and i had an editor's desk column on this um last sunday it's much more about selling you on the oneplus brand experience and getting you into this this club of oneplus users um you know, it was pretty telling that um, Andrew and I, when we got our review units, it wasn't just the phone. It was the cases. It was the headphones. It was, you know, T-shirts and bags and stuff that were in there as well. And that is where OnePlus is going to make the bulk of its money. It's through p- getting people in. The phone, which they make next to nothing on, is basically going to be a loss leader. Uh, I mean, not necessarily seeing they're making a loss on it, but they'll make a very, very small margin on it. And then what, where they get you is, okay, you want to buy a new dash charger and it's like $30 or you want to get the bag or you want to get um, apparel or any other kind of stuff. That's the stuff that they make a lot more money on, um, which has to be the bulk of their business going forward, you would have thought. And to be clear, it's a pretty sweet backpack. The bag is actually it's it's a different one. The one they sent out this time is a messenger bag. It's not the backpack they were they were doing before. Oh, I missed uh, that. Yeah, it's actually it's actually also really nice. Um, it's also reasonably expensive. It's like a hundred dollars, I think. I, I want to take a second though. I wasn't feeding into any conspiracies that Chinese companies harvest your data. That's not what I meant at all. It just so happens that these two companies are Chinese that are getting really really popular, and I feel need to be a little bit more transparent about. You know, heck, they make the software. They have access to every letter you've ever typed. Well, I mean, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of new phones, when you set them up, like f- LG, for example, uh, Samsung as well, they they make you agree to terms and conditions that nobody reads. But the terms say that they will take some anonymized data and use it for improvements to future products. Mm-hmm. I think that's fairly common mm, yeah, among that's boilerplate. all Android yeah. manufacturers. Samsung and LG have gotten a lot better, but even then you, you'll you get a an end-user license agreement when you sign in. 
you'll get a user license agreement when you open a specific Samsung app or you get a whole bunch of different things to read. There's no one cohesive policy that just tells you, hey, we treat all your data the same. This is what we do. We hope it's okay with you. Thanks. Bye. Uh, unless you're talking about Google, because that's the way data is data to Google, right? It's basically yeah, all the same. You know, to Google, Apple, Microsoft, even BlackBerry to a point, that that's how they, they treat our information. And I think that that's best for the consumer who, and, and we should care about this. Even if you have nothing to hide, these companies think that your data is super valuable. So if they want to treat it like it's worth a lot, then you need to treat it like it's worth a lot and make them do the right thing to get it. Mm-hmm. It's the price of admission for every free Google service. I mean, what's, what else is interesting is, you know, when Alex and I were briefed on the Huawei Mate 9, they made a big deal about the machine learning part of EMUI 5.0 and how they're going to do some magic. And they weren't clear about what that was to optimize the OS and keep it performant over time to prevent the well-known Android slowdown that happens after six months or so. But they never really said what they were going to do in order to achieve that. But you'd have to imagine that part of it is to harvest some of your usage data, submit it to Huawei, and then figure out how to, say, cache certain apps that are open more often than others, hibernate ones that are not often used, and I mean, these are things that Android does on its own, but that optimization process must require additional data from what you use your phone for. And, and you know, that's, to some people, uh, an invasion of privacy as well. So I got the slightly, I got the slightly longer spiel on that um, in China, Dan. Uh, as I don't recall them saying anything about data being sent to Huawei in that. As far as I understand it, all of the computation that, that works out whether a, an app needs um, high performance, whether it needs a, 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 well, high computational performance, whether it needs fast storage, whether it's memory intensive, all that I believe is done on the phone. They didn't mention anything about it being sent to Huawei. Um, it, it works out whether an app is memory intensive, performance intensive, or storage intensive based on parameters that are already in the phone. And I guess, uh, you know, they, they will collect data just like anyone else will. But um, I don't think that I don't think what they're doing with machine learning in, inherently requires them to collect any more data. And they certainly didn't mention anything to that effect when we were briefed on it in, uh, in China. So we'll, we'll have to see. Well, that's great. I mean, that's exactly what we want to hear. Well, I don't. The service would be better if they harvested this usage data properly anonymized it so nothing is tied back to you stripped anything personal out of it and of course let you know up front that they're going to do it and then they have a big aggregate say oh look a lot of people use this app and we see a trend that this app likes to do this certain thing or you know everybody uses let's say instagram and you know while you're asleep at 205 in the morning instagram likes to sync they'll have a broader database of information if they do harvest some of this usage data you know doing it on the phone is is good for user privacy but but doing it on a big computer somewhere in china is better for the product overall and it wouldn't necessarily be in china you talk to a lot of chinese companies um, and there are concerns about the data itself being transmitted right. to China. It, and actually, in, in the EU, there are, there are laws about data being transmitted outside of the EU, and you need to specifically ask for consent if you're in the EU for that to happen. 
Um, which is why it makes it makes more sense for them to build that infrastructure outside of China rather than dealing with the headache of actually processing your data in China. I've, I've heard this from multiple Chinese companies. Um, and it, yeah, so if, if they want to do that and they want to not have the headache and the insinuation that they are doing something um, in China with your data, then it's it's easier. They just they're Huawei. They have massive infrastructure anyway. They just set up a data center in like Germany and, and they're done. Yep, and in the U.S., it's Colorado and then. Kentucky, West Virginia, North Carolina, where the weather's cooler and the mountains are high. We got all kind of data centers that will serve people like that. And people are building new ones all the time just for that reason that, you know, let's put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This week's episode of the Android Central podcast is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's makes great razors for less. If you're looking to save some money from those expensive drugstore brands, Harry's is just the ticket. You go to harrys.com and you order your set. And if you like, they will send you a bunch of razors every month through a subscription right in the mail. It's really easy. But that's not all. Harry's actually makes better razors than the ones that you find in the drugstores. Not only are they great, high-quality five-blade razors, but they have a flex hinge for a more comfortable glide. The blades are trimmer so that they reach those hard-to-reach places, and each one has a lubricating strip along with a textured handle for more control. Harry's was started by two friends who just wanted to pay less for razors. Razors should not be complicated, so they decided to design their own, and to manufacture them, they partnered with a factory in Germany. And they liked the product so much that they actually bought the the plant, which is pretty cool. Now they make razors for less and they send them right to you. And if you don't like them, which you probably will, but if you don't, Harry's will refund you 100% of your money. That's a pretty great deal. So how do you get the starter set? Well, the starter set comes with a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, three precision-engineered five-blade cartridges and a travel cover, and that's all just for 15 bucks. It's a great way to get started with Harry's. And for a limited time, you can get even more if you use the offer code AC at checkout. So you get an extra $5 off the already discounted $15 price for a starter kit by using the offer code AC at checkout when you go to harrys.com. Again, AC, harrys.com, Get a better face, except, you know, you don't have a choice because that's the one your mama gave you. But anyway, you can get a softer face, and that's all that matters. Back to the show. All right. I got to talk about this Daydream headset. (sighs) Oh, snap. Did you see the red ones available, Russell? I ordered the red one. I I didn't order the the white one. (laughs) But I did order the red one because I saw the red one in person and I really yeah. wanted to just snatch that one off the table when I saw it because it's a really nice color. Um, but yeah, so I uh, I have a weird relationship with Daydream right now um, because it is, uh, in, in one way, it's everything Google promised that it was going to be, which was this kind of step above Google Cardboard where you were you were kind of wearing it on your head and it was the super comfortable thing that you're wearing on your head that you could enjoy for extended periods of time uh, in, in very much the same way that the Samsung Gear VR is designed to be worn for extended periods of time. So you put it on and and you can 
you, you can sit back and watch a movie or play a game or enjoy some uh, 360 degree video. You know, there's not a whole lot of stepping forward or back or anything like that because it's, it's, you know, still a single uh, position movement. So you're not standing up and walking like you would uh, an Oculus Rift or an HTC Vive, but you do have this, this controller, which is now kind of mandatory for all interaction is that you have this, this controller that can move around and do stuff. And, a lot of it works. Uh, Dan, I know you've been using it for a little while. I, or at so, the very yeah, least you have the experiences it. <laughs> are, are good. Um, for the most part. And you mentioned the paucity of, of, of content and it's expanded a little bit since the release, but I think what's there is really interesting. Uh, Google has done a good job with things like YouTube and, even with content that's not 3D, they've created a decent facsimile of a 3D experience by putting you in the kind of auditorium of a theater, or they're putting you in a theater and, and projecting the YouTube video onto a screen in front of you, which is really neat. Uh, and the games that I've played so far have been fun, but I think the real triumph is the controller. I, I think they've done such a good job with making the controller simple and responsive that that alone catapults it to uh, far beyond even the gear VR and as close to a quote real VR experience as, uh, as you can get on a mobile device. It's, it's really good. I, uh, after extended periods of, of use, I found that the, the controller tends to drift a lot. Uh, if right. you're, you're switching in between games. So like there, there's a big thing that it tells you when you first start the headset up is that, you know, every single time you start the headset up, you know, press and hold the home button if you want to recenter everything. Uh, and, I, you know, across a two hour session, I probably have to do that four or five times in order for the, the controller to still be pointing where I want it to point. Because, you know, in, when you're in the, the VR headset, you're holding the controller in your hand and it basically looks like a laser pointer in in vr where you know whatever the tip of the controller is uh you know there's 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 a beam of light that comes forward and allows you to use it as a cursor for interacting with things uh for kind of like the menus and then each one of the games has their own different you know set of uses for it uh but considering it's a it's a standard kind of bluetooth controller that could be paired to just about anything it it works really well well i mean that's the thing how much of it is due to the controller and how much of it is, is just the limitations of Bluetooth, um, you know, and, and keeping a constant Bluetooth connection is just inherently lossy. And eventually you're, you know, it would be nice to do that reset automatically, but unfortunately that would be jarring. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, definitely don't do it automatically. I'm going to guess that the Bluetooth connection, that the controller has a hall sensor or something in it, and it tells over Bluetooth where to draw its position on the screen. And that hall sensor, and I'm saying hall sensor, it may not be some sort of sensor that uses is in use used for orientation loses track. And that's when we have to recenter it because yeah, same thing. Every, it seems like every time you change an app or I more videos than games because I'm just, you know, natural history style videos on YouTube and a, you know, a bong rip or something. It's just fun as hell. 
And when you switch from one to another, you have to recenter. So it's there's something in the controller that's losing where it's supposed to be. I don't think it's the Bluetooth connection. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm definitely not positive. You know what exactly is in there that that would be causing the drift? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not switching the uh, switching apps that causes it. It can happen in apps a lot. I was playing uh, Evil Robot Traffic Jam, which is one of the better names for a game ever. Um, and uh, the the controller and the headset both would would drift. Uh, you know, every couple of minutes of gameplay, uh, which isn't terribly noticeable at first, but then you realize that you're kind of stretching your uh, your head, you know, over in one direction to to see what's going on when you shouldn't have to, and you kind of recenter and everything's fine. And I guess that's probably a small thing to complain about, but it, it it's it is kind of a constant thing. Well, and it could be the same that we're both seeing the same thing. I'm watching five minute videos, so I click once, and then five minutes later, I click again and notice that I'm oh, need, sure. need readjusted. You're playing a game and you see it as it happens, but it very well could be the same thing. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a cool feature. I, I greatly appreciate having the controller uh, more than I ever thought having the touch panel on the side of the Gear VR was useful. Uh, and it's nice to not need a, another controller to play a lot of the games with uh, the, the Gear VR there's a whole class of games for the gear VR that require you to go and buy a separate gamepad in order to fully enjoy. And Samsung stopped making a gamepad, So you kind of have to, you know, find one that, that works well. And the best one that I found is it's an extra 40 bucks, you know, for a really good Bluetooth gamepad that, that, you know, plays nice with what you've got going on there, which just makes it consider it, it makes it almost twice as expensive as uh, just getting a daydream view. So, the the question is the there's a touchpad on here there's two buttons one of them's a dedicated home button and clearly it's meant for simplicity but at some point you know we we heard this argument with uh the Apple TV the fourth generation and how Apple needed all games to have support for this really simplistic uh, you know, Apple or Siri remote that got bundled with every set-top box. And a lot of game developers were just upset that they had to, in, in, you know, they had to include compatibility with this very limited remote. And I, I wonder how, how much of it is the same with this. You know, will developers balk at the fact that this is the only way that you can input uh, for for current VR games? Is it worth adding dedicated controller support the way that you technically can for the gear vr um or should all the experiences just be optimized for that you know touchpad to input combination yeah it's it's hard to say you know google said that there was going to be 50 apps available for for daydream you know by the end of the year and they're already super close to delivering that you know when we when we first looked at daydream uh when when i did the review uh, i only had access to 10 apps and six of them were google's which was super obnoxious. But then the day that Daydream shipped, there were 15 more. Uh, so, you know, they started out with 25. There's 42 now, uh, technically 43, but one of them is only available in Australia. So you don't count. Sorry, Australia. I love you. Um, but, uh, you know, so that they've, they've 
met they've come very close to meeting their goal already and we know that uh within the next week there's going to be more games that come out but i think that all of these are are companies that had already signed on these aren't people who these aren't companies who looked at the the daydream controller and go well i guess i could try and support that they had already agreed to support it so i think the real test is going to come after this initial rush after the the 50 apps you know so so but by mid-january google's going to have burned through all of the you know supported apps that they said was going was going to be available, and so at that point it'll be time for new developers uh, who have decided that you know there are enough people buying Daydream to move support either from cardboard or from Gear VR or even just new apps to to move over and support it. And we haven't seen any of that yet, so it's going to be going to be really interesting to kind of watch and see. Back to the controller support. There's, you know, the Apple TV was one thing, but this is a controller that you can't see. The more buttons that are going to be on it, the more frustrating it would be for me to learn the controller configuration. Man, I hate when I get a new game for a console or something and I have to look down and try to remember which button does what. And I couldn't even look down if I was using VR. I would have to just take my thumbs and move around and try to feel so having a trackpad and one button and, a, you know, the trackpad's clicky is probably better in the long run, even if it causes more frustration for game devs. Couldn't the lack of, um, like, tactile feedback on a trackpad be more of a problem when you can't see? Because if you look at a traditional game controller, you have, like, ridges or whatever uh, on analog sticks. On the D-pad, it's easy to feel which, which direction it's going, and even if you're not looking at it, could that be part of the problem? Maybe and so the the way that uh, Daydream did this, uh, the the way that Google did this with the Daydream controller is the the touchpad area is uh, is recessed slightly, so you've got this kind of concave uh, you know bowl that your finger runs around in, and it's pretty easy to find the edges. Uh, you know, when even you know when when your eyes are closed or, or when you're looking at Daydream, it's pretty easy to find the the edges because it's small enough that your thumb takes up ninety percent of it when you lay it across it already. So you're taking, you know, just kind of the the tip of your your thumb and moving around, uh, but you know that it's it's going to be a little while before we see you know new apps try and and take this on. But it seems like just about every developer that has you know kind of implemented this so far has either gone with really simple control features that were already you know simplified because of the uh, the Gear VR interface because they moved over from the Gear VR they moved over from uh, from cardboard, uh, but the uh, the ones that haven't what we've seen is uh, kind of a, a virtual representation of the controller itself. So when you look down, you you do actually see the controller, and when you mm. move the controller around, uh, you know you can see it kind of represented in space, and the buttons are are present. Uh, what you can't see is you know where your finger is yeah, in, in relative position. Hand, yeah. But thanks, Alex. Now I really want a D-pad on this controller. <laughs> this controller is dead to me now. You got a three, on the other hand, 3D print one, silly. Uh, it's a USB Type-C port on the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. So in theory, there could be a D-pad attachment at some point that, that just connected to that port. Have you confirmed that it's a data connection as well as power? Yeah. Because I haven't gotten around to that yet. That's freaking awesome. I'm going to hack my controller. Yeah, I'm it's root my you know, controller. Uh, there's, I mean, there's nothing that I could see that could be easily done with it. But yeah, when you when you plug it in, there's there's more than just power going on there. I got a couple of them here. I'm taking one apart. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, so it's it's you know I I think that the, the controller is kind of the best part of this. You know, it's it's designed very well, and and I think that the controller is the important part because the controller is what we're going to see across all forms of Daydream headsets because any uh, any of Google's partners can make their own, you know, Daydream headset in the same way that the uh, cardboard was made. And that's important because the headset part of Daydream, I'm not the, the biggest fan of. Uh, it's it's super comfortable for a couple of minutes, but the the single strap, uh, you know, puts all the weight for everything at the, the top of your forehead. And there's a ton of light bleed that comes in from the sides of the headset. So if you're not in a dark room, then you you get a ton of light that comes in and it's, uh, it's it's just a a ton of distraction, and we've seen better headsets designed uh, recently. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, that there's you know something else that takes the really great part of Daydream, which is the controller and the apps, and gives us just a little better headset at some point in the future. The flip side of that, yeah. So what's what what's the deal with that? So right now we only have one controller or one one uh, headset, and the controller seems like it was tailor made or purpose built for this particular headset. Uh, but the specifications are there for OEMs to develop their own combination. How aligned with the headset will the third-party controllers be? I mean, it's it's all Bluetooth to the phone, so it doesn't really matter that the headset is there at all. You don't have to use the uh, the Daydream View headset right now. If you have a more comfortable headset that you'd prefer to use, the only thing that Daydream offers you, the, the only thing that Daydream View offers you when you remove the controller is the NFC tag that launches the Daydream app when you uh, when you put it in that plastic base. Otherwise, it's exactly the same as every other Google Cardboard thing that Google's ever done. Yeah, that's important that unlike the Gear VR, there's the headset's just a piece of cloth that holds the phone in front of your eyes. Which is which is perfect because when the the Moto Z updated to to Nougat, it it had Daydream support, and there was no nothing needed to be done. I installed the Daydream app, I, I put it in the headset, and it worked exactly the same way that the Pixel did. Uh, as as far as launching apps and connecting to the Daydream controller, I didn't have to unpair it from the Pixel in order for the Daydream controller oh, to work cool. on the Moto Z. I switched back and forth between the Moto Z and the Pixel with the exact same Daydream controller. Uh, and there's there's never a problem, you know. The the implementation of Daydream, as it will happen eventually across multiple phones, is in, really well done. So it's it's you know the 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 headset itself is something that that will change. Other manufacturers are going to make other versions, and like you said, the the spec for the controller is readily available. You can even you don't even technically have to use the uh, Daydream controller. The the developer kit. Uh, lets you run an emulator on another phone uh, such that, you know, if, if someone had a, a spare phone and a Google Cardboard headset laying around, they could get everything that you get out of Daydream uh, without buying a Daydream view. And then that's kind of the point is that, you know, this will be a, a democratized platform eventually, where as long as everyone meets the minimum hardware requirements that Google has put up for the phones, then that same ecosystem will be, you know, present across as many Android phones as possible. You know what I'm going to try to do, Russell? When I have some free time, I'm going to break out the SDK and see what I can do with a three-button Bluetooth mouse and a big mouse pad. Why? What are you... If I can sit at my desk and use a mouse... Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Instead of a controller, because that's... You know, that well, just that and because it can be done. I guess there's no good reason to do it. 
But, I don't uh, think a ton of the games are going to work, but I think what you're doing as far as your videos are going to work well. Yeah. And actually, uh, you in particular, uh, you loved the idea of the Gear VR, but you couldn't use it for more than five no. minutes without feeling like you were going to toss your cookies. Is, yeah. is Daydream any different there for you? Uh, yeah, it's different. It, number one, what you don't like, that you're not as isolated, is better for me. Uh, okay. The Gear VR, if I didn't strap it to my head and I just held it in front of my eyes and there was a little bit of light bleed and I wasn't disconnected from the world, I could last longer before I was visiting the, the throne. Uh, Daydream, what really gets me in Daydream is the Google menus. It's, I don't know. And, man, I love this stuff, but R- Russell's telling the truth. F- give me about five minutes and... I need to be in the men's room because I'm going to make a mess. If not, it just comes right back up and there's nothing I can do to alleviate it. The videos, the more lifelike they are, the harder they are for me to deal with. I find myself getting sick to my stomach, you know, maybe in 10 minutes instead of five. Uh, On the Gear VR, I was okay with games because they don't even pretend to be realist you know realistic right but the more immersed i would be the bigger disconnect i felt and the more it affected my you know my stomach i don't see as much of it on daydream as i did the gear vr but it is definitely still there it's not been you know they haven't found a magic solution for people that get sick from vr yeah i don't i don't there there's definitely still a group of people it's not a huge group of people it's certainly significantly smaller than it was maybe five or 10 years ago. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but there, there are definitely still people that, uh, that just can't, can't deal with the, especially the mobile VR for, for particularly long. I still want to stick you in, uh, a Vive and see how you <laughs> handle that. Yeah. That, that's, that's either going to be a whole nightmare train worse because I'm completely disconnected or I'm going to be so disconnected that I don't get sick anymore. I'm curious too. We have to get together because yeah, I'll sacrifice my lunch for science. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Um, you know, I've never really experienced nausea uh, in VR. I'm not sure about you, Alex, um, but it, I find the the tolerances to be so variable among among certain people and different. In, in in different platforms, you know, some people find Vive and Oculus to be far too much, but cardboard and Daydream and Gear VR to be much easier to handle. And I just wonder what that is. I mean, is it the resolution? Is it the um, you know the the head tracking? You know, what 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 do you think it is, Russell? Because I find that really fascinating how that's a problem that nobody really seems to be able to solve so there's been there's been just a tremendous amount of research done on on people as they they feel this uh sim sickness is what it was originally called and uh this goes back to the the army uh i guess it was 15 years ago now trying to use virtual reality headsets to train soldiers and there was just a tremendous amount of research done to figure out why it was that these, you know, battle hardened soldiers were, you know, being put in these plastic headsets and then, uh, you know, shaking for an hour afterwards because their whole body was just uh, confused. And uh, the the single biggest thing 
was uh, what's called cue correction, and that's where your your brain, you know, through your eyes, sees that uh, you're you're heading in one direction. You're you're you know you're traveling uh, in in one specific way, but your body doesn't feel those motions. And so the brain tries to correct inside of your body, and and that causes that that uh, nausea uh, almost immediately in in a lot of people. Is you know if if uh, if your brain can't connect what's happening with uh, you know what it's seeing and and what it's feeling, then there's a problem. And I think what Jerry said there has a has a lot to do with why it is that some headsets perform better than others uh, for more extreme cases of sim sickness. In that. Uh, you know, Jerry can go into this and know that it's not real. You know, he can, he can put on cardboard or he can, you know, hold daydream up to his face and, and there's enough light and everything going in that, uh, that, you know, the, the brain isn't convinced that it's real, but when you have PlayStation VR or the, or HTC Vive, or even, uh, you know, uh, daydream in a dark room, uh, your entire field of view is is consumed by this this replacement image, and so when you when you do something like look up a YouTube video of someone uh, going down a roller coaster on a three hundred and sixty degree camera, and and you're either sitting still or or worse in some cases standing up, uh, you'll feel your body try to to correct for that. Uh, there there are a ton of games. Uh, there's there's one called Windlands uh, for for PlayStation VR and and for Vive. Uh, where you're you're kind of like flying through the trees like Spider-Man. And I can't play that game for more than 15 minutes, not without getting nauseous, but without my legs being so entirely sore because my feet have spent the last 10 minutes trying to keep myself balanced when I'm standing perfectly still. It's really kind of fascinating. Yeah, the the you had me check out one of the roller coaster ones on yeah. VR to see what it would do to me. And yep. As uh, you know, a normal video about baby seals or something, I was good for about five minutes. But as soon as I hit the play button, I'm climbing this hill. When I hit the hill and went down, thirty seconds later, I was done. I was. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, that's that's cue correction. Yeah, uh, is is what that gets called. And there's there's just a tremendous amount of research, and the the way that uh, Oculus and uh, and HTC and Steam basically, uh, you know, fixed this was by ramping the the frames per, the the frame rate on their headsets up so high that uh, it it you know there was no question as to whether or not what you were seeing was uh, was real basically. So the the Vive and the Rift operate at ninety frames per second constantly. It's mandatory that every game operate at ninety frames per second. That it never drops below. Uh, 90 frames per second. And if you use those headsets to watch a YouTube video that was recorded uh, in something that's like 60 frames per second or below, you immediately feel that kind of uneasy, uh, you know, feeling uh, because, you know, the, the frame rate is just way lower than what you're used to in that headset. The uh, uh, Gear VR and Daydream, the the fastest they can, or the, the, the most consistent they can maintain is 60 frames per second. And so it's not quite as immersive as the the Vive and Rift because it's not able to reach that higher frame rate, but you still get you know that that sixty frames per second, and it's it is so incredibly important that the headset uh, that the, I'm sorry that the the phone and the software, no matter what, is able to be consistently sixty frames per second, uh, because as soon as that frame rate starts to shift. Uh, either because of a performance problem or uh, or because the the app wasn't you know particularly well optimized, uh, that is like one of the easiest ways to make someone nauseous is to to have the frame rate uh, stutter enough that that 
the the cue correction sets in and the brain tries to figure out if it's real. Well, it's I can tell you it's it's if you've never tried it, even even Google Cardboard to an extent, it's way different than than you think it would be. Just you're not just watching something. Your 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 brain is being manipulated. In fact, there's a a company uh, somewhere around San Francisco, I think, out of UC Davis group of students that is uh, using VR to produce hallucinogenic type effects. You know, you can you can have an acid trip without taking the acid through a, a VR experience. You know. And that's for therapy or, or for something? I think they're just doing uh, it because social. they can, yeah. But, you know, that's – that. it just – we're manipulating our, our brain. We're, we're fooling it and, and doing things to it that it wasn't built built for. And that can have a more, more of a, an effect than you think. So if you're going to laugh at me for getting sick because hmm. Gear VR on a roller coaster makes me vomit, you go right ahead. But just, just if you haven't tried it, you, you need to try it first and then laugh at me. Yeah, it's it, it can be really intense. I mean – I mean, I did that. I was in uh, New York uh, for the – it was actually the Note 7 uh, launch, and we got the chance to test out the uh, Gear VR roller coaster experience. And it, it was interesting because to me, what kept me out of it, what, what made it less realistic wasn't the visuals, but it was the audio. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was the lack of wind. It was – you know the, because it, you were strapped into a, into a chair that – actually moved along with it was programmed to jut and 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 vibrate Ooh, along cool. with the 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 roller coaster itself and you know you're in six flags you're going upside down i mean you're you're doing a lot of really intense movements and that part was was very interesting and and very realistic but it was the it was the the audio the two dimensional compressed dynamic range that really took me out of the experience and i i wonder how much of that plays a part? You know, I don't know about you, Russell, but I've been using Daydream, you know, in a quiet room, but I haven't been wearing headphones most of the time. And I just wonder that audio part of it is is something that Vive and, and Oculus take seriously, but to the mobile VR m- makes it much less of, of an important uh, aspect of your experience. Yeah, spatial audio is is a huge part of, of virtual reality right now. And it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you don't get as much of on the Gear VR or on Daydream, uh, but you will get several games, uh, especially now on Daydream, where you'll start up the game and it'll say, if you're not using headphones, you really should right now. And those are the games that have gone into the work of, of employing uh, like serious hardcore spatial audio stuff to make it feel more real. Uh, by by the way things are you know kind of creeping up behind you or or maybe just the the sounds of the animals all around you uh, but it is it is a a lackluster experience to try and use daydream with a uh, pixel XL without headphones i I did it once or twice and then I went and I, I grabbed for my headphones just because uh you know it, it's a phone that only has a, a single speaker that fires in a single direction and so even when you're in a quiet room, you know, you're you're only really hearing what's happening from the you know the the right side of your body because uh, the 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 speaker's firing out there. And curiously, you you get the opposite problem with the Moto Z because the speaker is up by the headphone jack. Uh, so you're or it's up by the the headphone spot on the phone. So you're actually getting all the audio firing from the left hand side. 
But in both cases, you're you're much better off by using headphones, uh, especially if you've got you know kind of decent over the ear headphones. But but earbuds are are still going to be a much better experience. And that was always the thing with the gear uh, GPR that you couldn't actually fit a set of wired headphones in because of the way the thing came together. At least with the way Daydream works, because it is effectively just sandwiching it between um, these two bits of fabric. Um, there, it is at least the option to just stick a, a normal pair of wired headphones in there. Yeah, it's way easier to use wired headphones. And, and Gear VR got easier to use headphones with the most recent uh, revision uh, with, with their hardware. But yeah, the, the first two versions, uh, if you had you know a decent set of wired headphones, it was a, a problem to, to try and you know kind of cram your headphone jack in there so that it would reach the, the port on the phone. But yeah, Daydream does make that way easier. Alex, I think you haven't used one yet, but you're going to be using one soon, if I remember correctly. Soonish, and uh, it's funny because the the two phones that I have here to test it with, and one still isn't actually officially supported in Daydream because the app won't install. Uh, I have the Pixel, obviously, which will be interesting to try that out. Also, have the Huawei Mate Nine, uh, and that's going to be an act. Well, the Mate Nine Porsche Design Edition as well, which is higher res. Uh, the regular Mate Nine, though, is on teetering on the very edge of what is acceptable. Um, by Google's own uh, standards for Daydream. So it's 6 inches, 1080p, so the very, very highest screen um, size that you can have and the very, very lowest screen resolution you can have. Um, And you would imagine that is not going to make for a great experience, so it will be interesting to see when eventually um, you can install the Daydream app, how well that actually works. I suspect uh, the Mate 9 Pro, or you know, if you just have loads of money, the $1,500 Porsche Design Edition would be a much better experience because it's AMOLED. Um, you have the higher resolution, smaller screen size. Uh, it will be interesting to see how that measures up. Um, and it, I think this is this is kind of an issue that we've had with just the nature of Daydream. It, it is going to mean that not all uh, Daydream-capable phones are going to have a comparable experience. Right, Russell? Because you've been using it, I think, with the uh, Moto Z this past week. Yeah, so I've been using it with the the Moto Z, which has a you know as far as display resolution is is basically identical to the Pixel XL. So you don't you don't have a lot of visual differences there. Um, although Dan, I think, is the only one of us that has used the regular Pixel so far in Daydream, uh, and you didn't care for it all that much. It no, I I don't think it's the only advantage is that it looks better. <laughs> And and that's just because the size of the the headset is is the same as as the five inch pixel. But you mean it looks the resolution you mean it looks is, better when it's actually on your person, not the the picture correct. looks better. Yeah, you look like less of a dork because <laughs> yeah, okay. when you have the Pixel XL or the Moto Z, the the edges of the phone stick out of the headset a little bit. Right, which is so irrelevant to the to the experience. I want to see the six inch Mate Nine sticking out the side of the, that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm view sure that's going to be <laughs> ridiculous. Russell, I, I use it with my Pixel. I've got the XL here, and I, that's the first one I tried. The screen resolution, I, I'm thinking that dots per inch means more. As you know, as long as the screen is actually the resolution is high enough, you know, maybe that's why 1080p is the cutoff point. You know, a 1080p screen with a high dot pitch should be good enough. I, I don't see a whole lot of difference. They're both screen door because they're so close to your eye. And yes, the Pixel is more screen door than the XL, but uh, there wasn't enough difference there for me to worry about it. I can use the phone that I like to use for everything else. And I just Yeah, I think been. what it really is going to come down to for most people is whether or not you can, how much of that screen door you can tolerate. Right. And that, that matters less when you're 
playing most games, but it matters a whole lot more if you decide you're the kind of person who wants to kick back and watch a movie uh, yeah. Like an actual movie yeah. through the the play movies thing, or or the HBO app when that finally becomes available, uh, it's it's a private beta right now, which is cool. I could very well have a different opinion if I was able to do it, you know, right. when I'm watching a, a 180 minute video or movie instead of a five minute video. And we talk about we talk about eye strain and the screen door effect. That's something we have with current hardware, but there are already rumors that the GS8 is going to move up to 4K. And if it does, it's not going to be the only 4K phone next year. Um, at that resolution, where you're basically uh, doubling the pixel dent- uh, density again, I think to like 800 pixels per inch, it's going to be really interesting to see what that does for just the viewability of, of VR content. Because if you no longer have that screen door and that flicker. Assuming the hardware is powerful enough to push a 4K picture for that long, it's going to be, uh, it, yeah, that's going to be a much, much improved uh, visual experience, even compared to something like um, an HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift, which have uh, uh, resolutions that are kind of in line with current phones. Yeah, it's it's going to be a potentially big deal. I'm curious. I, I hope Samsung doesn't like just completely ignore daydream. I think they're going to, cause I yeah. think they have too much money <laughs> yeah. invested in, well, they have their own platform, uh, Oculus and the gear, but, but there's no reason they can't have both. Yeah, I know, but like they're, they're Samsung could easily go, Hey, we have both, but there's way more to do on the gear VR, which is true. You know, there, there's, there's a ton more apps and, and content and stuff on, on the gear VR. They don't even need to announce that it, you know, supports daydream as like a feature when they're on stage or anything, but to, to, you know, there's no way that if the, the Moto Z is capable of being daydream uh, compliant and, and some of these other, you know, kind of lesser phones, there's no way that the, the S seven edge, you know, or, or whatever comes next for uh, what, what is going to be the note line uh, if it ever uh, comes back uh, is, is not going to be capable of, not just looking nice in daydream, but but as Alex just said, with uh, with you know higher screen resolutions, you know, outperforming significantly. One hundred percent. But think about how Samsung views the Gear VR as a competitive advantage, right? Not only do they think of it as a reason to bundle something with its phones to add. You know, they, they've been throwing in Gear VRs for 50 bucks or sometimes even free for the last year or so. I mean, but it's, there's so it's a much ple- ben- from, from Samsung's perspective, it's a, piece of, it's a piece of plastic with a USB port in it. It's, even when they're selling that for $50, the margins have to be tremendous on those, that kind of thing. Yeah, because Oculus does all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Right. It's that relationship with Oculus that they have to preserve, and they really have to make that the differentiator. The fact that the that Oculus is playing ball, that they know that they're going to own the high end of the VR space and giving Samsung it, you know, it's second sloppy seconds to some extent is, is fine because they're not losing anything by giving, by giving Oculus a mobile VR play. Um, But what, what's, what I find so interesting about it is that Oculus can then trickle down a lot of those features to, the phones and make Oculus as a brand much more recognizable because they're not selling in the millions in the high end. Yet. Well, right. You know, yeah. they, they really aren't doing much there. You need a very powerful computer. So Oculus itself 
is benefiting from this relationship probably as much as Samsung is. I would say more. I, I, it would not be hard to make the argument that Oculus needs Samsung a whole lot more than Samsung needs Oculus because Samsung makes the displays yep. for <laughs> exactly. the, the Rift and the, the hardware that goes into the, the Gear VR. And that that's like a big thing for Oculus. It's one of the biggest reasons that they had such trouble shipping their initial batch to consumers was getting all of the parts ready. And, you know, that. so I... I, I absolutely find your point in, you know valid, and I'm sure that that's what's actually going to happen is that you know we're not going to see Daydream on a Samsung phone for uh, quite a while, if ever. But I definitely don't think that Samsung looks at Oculus and says, no, we need this. Uh, you know, Oculus is, is, is a better fit from a software engineering standpoint. Uh, Daydream requires your interface threads to be a certain way because daydream is just another interface to the running system. Whereas gear VR, it kind of takes over when, when you plug it in and fire up the gear VR app, it's more of a, of its own container and it can do its own thing, which is great for Samsung because then they can do the Android stuff the way they like to do it. Uh, daydream, wants them to will need them to do things a little more googleish and that doesn't work well for samsung another way of looking at it is with the current um domination that samsung has over uh, oled screen supply uh, the fact that amoled is basically what is in every vr capable phone with the yep. you know, one or two small exceptions uh whichever route someone goes, whether it's Gear VR, whether it's uh, Daydream in something with an AMOLED screen, Samsung wins either way because they're making all those screens. Yeah. Different, oh, yeah. different, from, from different a component. Samsung, yeah. Different company yeah. within the Samsung group, but still that's that's something Samsung's going to benefit from because of that longstanding investment that they've had in, in AMOLED. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's it's one of those things, I, I look at the Gear VR and I, I love some of the stuff that Samsung and Oculus have done with the Gear VR over the last you know, three or four years. But if daydream continues at its current pace, it is not going to be long before, you know, this is a much better platform than the, you know, the, the Oculus platform is for the gear VR. And it's going to be weird because we're going to have a whole bunch of phones that people don't buy quite as many of on this VR platform. That's really great. And then the most popular Android, uh, you know, phone, uh, you know, kind of having its own thing that isn't quite as good, and that, I think that's going to be really weird. But then, I mean, what, yeah. what is the what is the incentive for Samsung to to do anything until that happens? Sam- Samsung Sam- could Sam- make their own daydream headset. They could. And I mean, have it- Samsung wins either way. Samsung can continue sure. to cancel. Like the, the plan Plan A can be okay. We continue to do Gear VR. If eventually um, you have this duopoly where it's Gear VR and it's also um, daydream, then you know. Great, Samsung flips the switch in software. They do the optimizations that are needed, and oh, by the way, your Samsung phone also works with Daydream, so you have the choice of these two great VR things. Again, it's it's a little bit confusing to users in that respect because, in addition to having two galleries, two browsers, two whatever else you got on a Samsung phone, <laughs> there you no also two have VRs. two VR ecosystems. But still, um, yeah, Samsung is in a is in a good position where they win whichever um, a VR thing comes out on top. I I don't think it's a competition. But if it is, Daydream has already won uh, because the $400 Axon 7 is supposedly going to be able to do it. 
And that's, you know, Samsung doesn't make a phone under $700 that can use Gear VR, and they never will. I got to say, after using the Moto Z in in Daydream, I'm so hesitant about these mid-range phones being able to to actually keep up because there's one or two apps uh, in Daydream right now. And I'm going to have more to talk about this uh, in the coming week once I have a bunch more uh, data. But there's one or two apps for Daydream on the Moto Z that that Snapdragon 820 uh, it just can't keep up, and and it drops a couple of frames and it looks a little on the stuttery side. It's it's only the it's two apps right now that I found it on. Everything else is exactly the same as the Pixel, uh, but the the difference between the Snapdragon 820 and the Snapdragon 821, based on the research that I've done so far, is is just enough to make daydream uncomfortable in some situations. I, I can see it. Yeah. But I I meant more of next year. You know, the, yeah. the mid-range oh, yeah. this phones time this year, year are going to be iffy if at all. But this time next year they're going to have an 821 in it with 4 gigs of RAM and they're going to be 350 bucks and they're going to work as well as the Pixel. I think the real the real real tipping point for um daydream is when you have not just the the highest highest end Qualcomm chip capable of doing it, but something like uh, a six hundred series chip that can yeah. push a fourteen forty p display in VR and do it well. That is going to be the the tipping point into the mass market because, like you're saying, Samsung isn't really paying attention to spreading gear, gear VR outside of the uh, the Galaxy S and uh, Galaxy Note lines. Yeah, I think it's that's that's going to be a a pretty big deal, and and I think we'll probably see that over the next year. I wouldn't surprise me, especially based on how excited they were about it last year, to see uh, Alcatel, for example, uh, you know, mm-hmm. kind of package a phone with a Daydream headset in the same way that they did with their their cardboard headset, uh, because it it worked really well for them. You know, not not just because it was cool packaging, but it actually got people using the special Alcatel apps that were included. For, for doing a bunch of VR stuff. So I, I would love to see them do the same thing with Daydream uh, and then approach that kind of $400 space. And, and people that otherwise wouldn't even know it existed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big deal. Daniel, one more thing, I think, before we stop, because I just realized we've been doing this for over an hour. Of the games that you've played so far, which one's your favorite? I love Macarama. I oh, think- yeah? It was a great little game uh, when it was released. Uh, I think it was like two years ago on Android, but I think they've done a great job making it into a, a VR game. Uh, if you haven't heard of Mechorama, it's this little puzzle game where you play this cute little robot and you try to get him from one place to the other by rotating. Uh, you know, think of um, oh, what's that? What's that uh, game that was really popular? Uh, last year uh monument valley think of monument valley but not quite as focused on the on the graphics and the and in the aesthetic but on the actual puzzles in vr using your controller to rotate this world in 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 real time in space uh and i just think it's so cool and such a great introduction both for adults and kids to this platform and it's cheap it's a couple bucks and it's a very very good first buy i guess for uh for daydream is it a standalone app or is it the same app that i've already got uh, unfortunately you do have to buy oh, it i don't again, care about buying it again i just want to try it because i kind of like that game yeah 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 it's i think it's a standalone 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you've never played it on Android, uh, but you have the Nintendo has a, a kind of a spinoff of it called uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, where it's like an entire I like that uh, name Nintendo better. game. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But yeah, Mechorama is definitely cool. I love. Uh, I've I think I've bought this game probably four times now. Is uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Uh, it's it's this kind of party game. So you play with a group of people, and you have and uh everyone who isn't in the VR headset has an instruction manual for how to disarm the bomb. And it's a randomly generated bomb that you get to look at. And the person in the VR headset has to try and disarm it based on the instructions given to them by everyone else in the room. So you have the, the person in the headset describing what it is that they see and uh, the people around you using that information to try and give you instructions for disarming the bomb. And it is so much fun to to both participate in and watch. I've heard so many good things about that game. I have to try it. But it's uh it's ten bucks. Uh, it's worth care. it. I mean, if you're gonna pay for good software, pay for good yeah, software. Yeah, no, I, I love it. This is and it's it's something that's I'm kind of curious to see how that works as people uh, move into Daydream. Is very few of the apps are what we traditionally consider inexpensive apps as far as Android users are concerned. Uh, you know, just just looking at the 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 list of apps, uh, you know, you're not going to find a lot of 99 cent apps. There's a bunch of free apps uh, for for Daydream, but a lot of the games are going to be uh, six bucks, seven bucks, eight bucks, and I think the most expensive that I've seen so far has been fourteen uh, for for a game for for Daydream, and that's that's atypical of what people who own Android phones typically see as the cost for an app. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, how that responds. I hope that that it works. I hope that you know that we don't run into the same problem that we've run into with Android games before, where they've started releasing kind of freemium versions to make up for the price, because these prices work on the the Gear VR and they're more expensive elsewhere. You know, keep talking and nobody explodes. I think is twenty five on the Steam Store for for the HTC Vive. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that pricing works out. Do it. Oh, there you go. I guess I'm a bad example because I'm the idiot who spent $300 on, you know, the Destiny Ghost Edition. Games are expensive. Uh, if, if you can get a two, three hours worth of enjoyment or more for 10 bucks, think about, you know, your time's worth that. Do it. Oh, yeah. Don't be cheap. I'm definitely a big fan, and I hope that it continues to be a thing. But I guess uh, now that uh, I have <laughs> talked fairly endlessly about this, so we should go ahead and call this... Uh, Call this done. Let's put a bow on it and stick a fork in it. Alex, what are you up to this week? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me as always at Alex Dolby and all of the things, and also my stuff at AndroidCentral.com. Uh, coming up in the next week, we'll have more on the Huawei Mate 9. So we've got finally got final software for this. Uh, Daniel and I have been using that in the past few days, um, both the regular and ridiculous ridiculous Porsche design versions of this phone. Uh, I think the, the like short TLDR version on this new software is um, basically everything that we were worried about before is fixed. The notifications are fixed. The software basically works like an Android phone now, and that's great. Um, the camera has also improved a lot, especially in low light. So it's, I think, I did some testing today. It is not quite GS7 level, certainly not quite Pixel 11 level light, but I think it is It is very, very close to GS7 level in low light and in daylight, also promising. Um so, yeah, a really, really positive development from getting final software on this phone. And we will have an updated review, I think, in the next week. We'll also have some video stuff for you guys to look at. So watch out for that. Awesome. Daniel Bader. 
Well, I am. I'm trying to digest what uh, we heard and spoke about at uh, Motorola's headquarters in Chicago. It was a really cool event. Uh, I, I really want to say more about it, but I'm I'm held to a, uh, a strict NDA, and uh, unfortunately, that will show itself uh, later on. But for now, I, I'm trying to digest and, and think about how Motorola is doing things and where they stand in the very saturated, very competitive Android world, and how Motomods can boost this company to uh, something you know different and, and try to get them back on track. I'm not sure it's going to work, but I, I really like Motorola as a company, and I, I hold out hope that it does. And I've been playing with the LG V20, um, and I, you know, I'm so torn because Andrew nailed it in his review. There's just one too many gimmick in there to distract you from the core experience. And even though they didn't mess with Nougat that much, it just doesn't feel quite as complete as it as say a uh, a Pixel. And I'm I've been using the Mate Nine, and and with the update, the Mate Nine. So you know, I I like the the V20. I'm I'm playing with the second screen and seeing if that has any additional value. But you know, overall, I I just I think the V20 was was one more missed opportunity from from LG. So I want to stop you there, Daniel. Just get because you've used both of these phones, where I don't think any other any of uh, any other people on our staff have. Um, would you say Mate Nine? Obviously, we're looking at different markets here. Would you say Mate Nine or LG V20? If you know, gun to your head, you have to use one of these phones for the next year. Oh, Eddie, like Mate Nine with like no question. Really, uh, really, that's interesting. Oh, for sure. And and what what I find, like for example, the people made a big deal about the fact that the V20 has a removable battery. That's great, but the problem is that the battery inside the phone doesn't last the whole day. I my phone died and has been has died every day since I've used it as a daily driver before nine p.m. And I'm using it the same as I do the Pixel, the same as any other phone. So, you know, it's great that you can replace the battery, but I don't intend to do that. I just want a battery that lasts all day. And if they'd if they'd secured the battery, then they could have added a few extra 100 milliamps mm-hmm. and potentially got me to the end of the day. And I find that decision to be, you know, as somebody who doesn't want a removable battery, frustrating. So... I hope- so have we just decided that a Huawei phone is the best big screen Android phone you can buy? Because what well, el- what I'm else not, is there? I mean, it's uh, we're looking like five, yeah, I'm, five I'm not, I'm not sold up. so it's... much on. I'm not so I'm not sold so much on the 1080p screen, but yeah, mm. I, I would say that's probably true. Jerry, what? I, what I don't have a Mate doing? Nine. Uh, nothing I have has huh. a Porsche on it. Uh, I do well, have we... Blackberry's DTEC uh, sixty, which yeah. uh, is probably not on our best phones list, but is going to be as soon as we're done. This nice. is. It's if you're worried about being on the latest version of anything, this is not the phone for you. Uh, but you, if you are concerned about a, a, a an Android phone that is very consistent, does everything really that it's supposed to do, does everything really well, and is just, you know, you don't have any question if your information is secure, 
both from you know other people and from application developers who may be wanting to do nasty things this is the phone for you it's it's you know it's kind of expensive because blackberry's trying to rebuild a brand it's 500 bucks that's you know you'd sell more if it was 400 bucks let's be honest uh but it's definitely worth the 500 dollars if the pixel was not a thing this is the phone i would use so right on that's that's where i'm at with that and as far as finding me anywhere this week, you're not going to find me anywhere until they're done counting votes and people will stop fighting about about this stuff. I'm just hiding. I'm 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 social grid, media Jerry. free. I can't. I just can't anymore, man. It's been a year, and it, I thought it would stop when we were electing whatever crook we picked. <laughs> I thought it would be done, but no. Now we're still going to fight, so I'm just going to hide. Y'all can find me on e- through email. It's Jerry at Android Central. All right. And uh, when I'm not ranting about uh, all things virtual reality, uh, we're going to be doing some stuff on Android Central about the Moto Z and uh, probably a few other silly things as they come across. But that's going to do it for us for this week. Thanks for listening. See you later. Adios.